We probably don't need a metronome, do we? What's a metronome? Oh wait, oops, that was wrong. I think I love you, I think I love, I think I do. Hey honey, can you not do that ever again? Thanks. I think I love you, I think at least I think I do. No, I, I love you. No, I ne- have never once done that. I think I love you, I think <laughs> I love ridiculous. you. I think at least I think I do. Okay, okay, I'm sorry. I think I love you. Sorry. And we're blasting off. Get out of my orifices. <laughs> Jesus. You had wax in your ear. Thanks very much. Okay, we're on. This is week eight, I think. Fuck. No, it's not. Two months. No, yeah. it's not. Yeah. No, it's not. Because it's December 8th and we got married on the 13th. I just edited week six and seven together. This cannot be week eight. This is the beginning of week eight. Sure. Okay. It's either week six or week seven or week this eight. This is week seven. Okay. Week seven just finished. You are lying through your <laughs> beautiful teeth. Do we just do it? Rose and Thorn of the last week. Rose and Thorn of the last week. You go first. Okay. Oh, what are we drinking? Oh, we are drinking a fine Trader Joe's vintage <laughs> Pinot Noir from 2018. You don't see these too often anymore. I think it's pronounced Trajajan. Yeah, Trajajan. Heimer. My rose and my thorn. Rose and thorn feels like it's a CBS show. Of Fine, some kind. high and low. High is that I'm a chicken noodle soup chef. Damn, that's really my high. Yeah, I now make homemade chicken noodle soup, secret recipe, chicken stock from scratch, and it's incredible. And I think that's a really good skill to have. It feels like the most married guy thing ever to be like, my wife cooks good, but like for real. Yeah. Um, My thorn is that I spent the majority of the week in Massachusetts. And so I officially feel like I feel stateless right now. Mm. Because I've spent so little time in L.A. consecutively. I don't think I've spent a month in L.A. since May, maybe. And so, yeah, my thorn is just feeling kind of stateless. Spent the week with my sister, who is a newborn, who is very cute, but newborns freak me out. So that was a really sobering experience, I would say. Yeah. But, yeah, for the most part, feeling good. Feeling loose. Good. Yeah, nice. feeling free. We just watched a marriage story, which was some serious fucking shit. Yeah, Adam Driver, Scarlett Johansson, Netflix. Yeah, they get divorced. <laughs> it doesn't go well. I feel like doing that before recording one of these was like the equivalent of soldiers enlisting and then watching like Jarhead or something. Yeah, it was a lot. I've um, never seen Jarhead. Are you serious? <laughs> or enlisted? Oh damn, we uh, have to watch Jarhead. Yeah, that movie was awesome. They cast a 16-year-old handicapped boy as a five-year-old. <laughs> yeah, that was so weird. The only is the only uh, note that I had on the whole movie. Yeah, and they didn't like they didn't address his disabilities enough to make it make sense. Like it was just once in a while, like the eight-year-old can't read. Yeah, and it was like, well, what did I do? I spent the week alone. I flew back on Sunday, worked, picked you up on Friday. So yeah, I don't know. I guess my high was probably the chicken noodle soup. The chicken noodle soup was killer. It was wild. No, my real high uh, was us, was me going, I want a new couch. And then you going, cool. And now we're like fully in the process of absolutely exploding our apartment. It's really exciting. Yeah. So that was cool just to get what you want. (laughs) Get what I want. (laughs) But just to be able to be like, I want to change something. And then you being like, sure, let's do it and we'll figure it out. Yeah. It's fun. Yeah. It doesn't hurt that our current couch has black mold all over it. It's growing from the inside out. Yeah. Yeah. It's a toxin. Did I have a little... We didn't fight this week, I don't think. We, we weren't together. Yeah, we didn't really talk. We didn't really talk at all. That's true. We didn't fight, but I also did not feel close to you. Like, we were not on the same page when I was in Boston. No. We weren't on the same page. We weren't on the same, like, communication wavelength. No. So that wasn't cool, but it also wasn't, like, a disaster. Yeah. You brought up a couple cool things. Oh, did I not even say hello? I guess that's my low. It's kind of just being, like, somewhat out of sync. You know, so Caroline applied to, um, we don't actually, let's just call it a fellowship. It feels weird. Like saying the name because the name isn't relevant. Yeah. I applied to a fellowship. Yeah. Caroline applied to a thing. We didn't get into a fight or a disagreement over it. And I think you actually like preempted the whole thing in the first place. Well, the context is I, I applied to something that would drastically alter, drastically alter our lives in the, in the, in the form of either one or both of us having to move 300 miles north and basically uproot our lives for two years yeah 
In about a year, right? That's the timing-ish. Yeah, we would have to do it in September. Yeah. But I don't know. I think it was weird. I still feel kind of conflicted over it because it's something that we've talked about in the past. We have referenced this fellowship. You and I kind of talked about this, but for me, when you're applying to something that's really, really unlikely, or when you're about to do something that's really unlikely, there's something weird about having like a three-hour talk about how this will affect our lives when in your head you're thinking i don't that's completely jinxing it i'm not gonna get this anyways yeah but it was kind of a weird thing because that was probably the first time since getting married where i have been faced with a physical the physical reality of marriage as an anchor and i i know anchor has a kind of negative connotation (laughs) but just the idea that like i the crippling weight of your relationship (laughs) yeah exactly jesus no just the fact that i've always been a very impulsive person yeah and we're in our third year in LA and this would be right about the time that I would make a very impulsive decision, like applying to a fellowship and like leaving your husband. Yeah. And realizing that, that most married couples that, that you run into have made immense sacrifices for each other. And those sacrifices are not always appreciated or not always, you don't always move past them. So that's kind of a weird thing to think about that we are getting to the point where our wants and needs are inevitably going to conflict at some point where you want a job somewhere or I want to get a residency somewhere or I just want to move or whatever. And one person is inevitably going to be making a huge sacrifice. And we haven't had to do that yet. We moved to LA and we were both like, sure, let's move to LA. And since then we haven't been faced with any sort of radical. Our lives have been cotton candy. (laughs) I was literally going to say cotton candy. Yeah, no, I'm with you. And I think the thing about this fellowship in particular, I guess the, the, quote unquote conflict was that you applied and then you were like oh by the way I did this thing and I think you felt worse than I reacted at all you know I didn't really have a reaction to it I was yeah. like sure yeah I think because of the fact that like we are in a in like a in a situation where we have the incredible privilege of being like yeah we can move north and like maybe one of us travels or like maybe one of us lives up there or like Maybe I quit my job but and then I take I time off and then we do it. I think that we could break up over that. I don't know if that's a privilege to say we could because we don't know if we could. I could get the fellowship and you might be unable to get a job. Or Yeah, totally. But I guess my point is that we're at least like part of the way there where I'm not sitting here being like, how the hell would I do that? Like you'd be moving yeah. north and I would be like, cool, we'll go to San Francisco and like there'll be something in like tech or media or something that I could right. go do, you know? And I almost, I almost view it more as opportunity. I think the thing I said to you is like, even if it was in Illinois... That's almost like a nice thing for me moving forward, because then if I can't find anything, then I hate that. It's a I know it's a terrible, terrible way to think about things. But if, you know, 15, 20 years down the line, you can blame me for your failures. I, I'm not the person I want to be. It's not that I'm blaming you. It's that I have a thing to look back on and be like, well, we did that thing and we made our choices and that's the path that we took, you know, and I can so fucked tell up. myself that story. I'm not saying it's a story I want to tell myself. <laughs> I'm saying it's the first thing that I thought of. So yeah, I applied to this fellowship while I was in Boston taking care of, helping my sister take care of her new baby. Good Lord, have my opinions on children changed. Oh, can I say one more thing about the fellowship? Yeah. That doesn't worry me so much if it's one job or if it's one opportunity, because it's like, sure, I'll make a the con- concession for you. You make a concession for me. The thing that started to freak me out the other day was if it wasn't just a job, but I had a particular, like say my career trajectory changes over time or your career trajectory changes over time. And specifically for me, like what if my thing requires that I, you know, am in an office in a big city every single day. And that conflicts with our vision of like being remote creative professionals in Montana or whatever it is, you know, not that we've like really put a point on that vision, but but that's the thing we have. Yeah, we haven't in many ways. And I guess that's the thing that would scare me is like, if it's not the job or the fellowship or the one thing, but it's a a path that differs, you know? Yeah. And I would say the unfortunate and fortunate thing is that the best case scenario for both of our lives professionally leads to that exact divergence where I have no obligations anywhere. (laughs) (laughs) No, but like seriously, I have no obligations anywhere besides what I create for myself. And you do have obligations to your coworkers and to the zoo that I buy. Right. To the zoo that you buy. And I do think that that's going to be a thing that we're going to have to deal with because even now we reach conflict because I leave LA way more than you do. I go to see my family and I go to my MFA residency and I have been gone a lot and you've been here alone and that sucks. As much as I'm really excited to be back in LA and I don't want to travel for a while, there is always a part of me that just thinks, 
well, I could just go, I could go do that and I can go do that. And I think it's a very slippery slope because my knowledge that I can travel at any point makes it hard sometimes when you and I are trying to figure out vacation and you're like, well, I don't know if I could take this time off. And I'm just thinking, okay, but this is our fucking life. Mm -hmm. And now that I've been with a newborn, I feel this fucking real impetus to be really cognizant that right now is the only time in our lives if we end up having children that we are responsible for ourselves mm-hmm. and that when when we wake up in the morning our first thought is not i hope my kids okay it's what are we going to do today yeah and your job which provides us security and stability is also something that gets in the way of my impulsiveness i think in a good way there was a line in the movie in marriage story where they said the second that you have a kid it's just the process of them growing up and moving out yeah and i was like holy shit there there aren't phases right it's just the steady process of them leaving you yeah you that's what that was fun and it's just you have a kid and then all of a sudden it's just like they just start to move out from the nucleus Mm -hmm. but that but even so you are tethered to that thing forevermore like it Mm -hmm. is a full-blown by definition like paradigm shift in how you exist once you have kids yeah or the idea this is even freakier the idea that once we have kids when they grow up and move away i might not be satisfied with where we live or with our life because our kids aren't near us that is something that i can't even wrap my mind around right now yeah the idea that my life with you could officially become less than because the sphere of what we care about has expanded in ways that we can't understand right now yeah so the idea of like we could have this perfect life in los angeles or in montana or in massachusetts and i could still wake up and feel this pang of sadness because my children are really far away yeah and that's just like fuck because you can't control that they're not yours they're just humans that come out of you and if they're dinguses and doing something stupid that doesn't matter Mm -hmm. then you're like why are you living in tallahassee (laughs) do you have a point on babies yeah jesus there's my socks Um, (laughs) on your feet (laughs) sorry i don't have any socks i strictly wear yours so okay here's my thought i mean i have a lot of thoughts but Mm -hmm. the central thought for you that's relevant is that i don't know if I want kids because I want them or if I want them because I've been taught to want them. Interesting. Because when I was with my sister, and for the record, my sister is an incredible mother. Her baby was remarkably sweet. Like a really, really good little newborn. Very Didn't really cry that much. I quick cut in my head to you tasting him. <laughs> and being like... Sweet. Definitely. <laughs> Yeah, so it was as good an experience as I think I could have had for a week with a newborn. Like, he's a really, really sweet little baby. He wasn't crying nonstop. He was literally just, he would cry when he needed to cry, when he was hungry or when he needed to be changed, whatever. But I had this moment in the moments where I held him or in the moments where I was doing work for him, I would just feel this moment, this like complete detachment. And I understand that it's not my baby, but I was just thinking like, I have created a life that is so deeply selfish and it works for me. It does. Like, I feel like more empathetic than I've ever felt. I feel more successful than I've ever felt. I love not leaving the house. Like, Where I does think... the empathy thing come from? Having time to think about other people's emotions? Yeah. I mean, I think as a writer, I think I've become better at like understanding and seeking out different perspectives, really sitting with them and creating characters who are unlike me and having more room. I have more patience with people. When I go home, I don't get in arguments with my family. Like yeah. I, I have such a long fuse right now yeah. with my life around me, yeah. I think. Yeah. In the past few years, I've realized I've created an incredibly selfish life in the sense that it's exactly what I want. And having a child would not, it wouldn't irrevocably alter. It would blow up my life. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm, I'm using me words because I think when you talk about parenthood, it's really important to make that separation. Yeah. I think watching my sister go through this process made me realize in such a physical and concrete way that it would not be a shared experience for us being parents. Like if you, if we, if and when we have children, your life will be irrevocably altered. Mine will be blown up. Like you will be home for a few months, but then you will go to work and you will still have the respect of your coworkers and you, your career won't be derailed. And I will be home with this life force that has to be pressed against my skin otherwise it starts crying the thing that you were talking about that blew my mind that i guess i already knew in the back of my mind somewhere but didn't really like process is that it's not just that the mother's feeding the baby but that because of that the baby always wants to be with the mother and like all these different things and so he always wanted to be with her so it has to be the mother who tries to figure out how to 
get them to sleep because the kid wants to be with you specifically. So right. there are all these all these like peripheral responsibilities that fall to the mother strictly due to the feeding idea. Yeah, and what she and I were talking about is that it's this gradual snowball that doesn't stop if and when a woman goes back to work because what happens is you accumulate this knowledge where in the months leading up to giving birth and in the months after giving birth, you're the one going to the doctor's offices. And when you, when you go to those appointments, half of the conversations are about you yeah. because your health is the baby's health. Yeah. And soon the baby is one and your husband could take him to the appointment or your partner or but whatever. You have momentum. And but you they have... don't they don't have all the information you have. Yeah. And yeah. so the the primary caretaker role is it's so lopsided. So I was watching this happen. What I was thinking about was that I've said to you before that. The reason why we got married, the reason why I wanted to marry you is because I remember thinking very actively that I wanted to have kids with you and thinking like, this is a biological thing. Yeah. I don't want to date you forever. Like I want to create a family with you. And there's something comforting about that because I would think to myself, like, even if we end up getting divorced 30 years from now, we've done this thing. I can be certain knowing that you were the one that I wanted to do this with. Yeah. And now I'm having this kind of mind fuck of like, is it really that I wanted to have kids with you? Or is it just that I wanted to have my adventures with you? And do I like connote the adventures of my life with having kids because of some biological urge or is it literally just that I have had that it's been, I've been I've been raised in an echo chamber where everyone has always given me a feedback loop of like well when you have kids yeah and I've had my, my parents have been remarkably feminist in the way that they've always kind of talked to me like you can do anything you'd be a supreme court judge but there was always the thing of having a family and being in my sister's house I just kind of thought do I do I actually want kids yeah I don't know I like the idea of it. I love all the narratives I have in my head of being a cool mom and having us have three kids and having this gorgeous life of abundance. But like, is that what it really is? Or is it being sleepless for 18 years and loving something because it's yours, but also you love it in an animal sense? Mm -hmm. And there's this weird thing where the people who do have kids say, well, you just can't imagine until you have it. But I also can imagine that people who don't have kids could say, you can't imagine because you had it and you have to love this thing once you have it. Yeah. But if you don't have it, you don't have to love it. Your love can go in different directions. But I think that's the challenge is that it's the not knowing. And right. in order to know, you have to do. And it is a choice that you can never take back. You know? It just seems like such a fucking... Statistically, couples who don't have kids are happier than couples who have kids. Yeah. And I think another thing that I realized, again, from this week, was I think I've been viewing my sister giving birth for the first time as this temporary sprint of insanity that we all had to get behind, Mm -hmm. where it's like, oh, we all have to make food and... I'm going to delay my flight so that I can help keep her house clean. It's going to be this incredible thing where we all band together and then it'll be over and the baby will be bigger. And I was only realizing when, when I was there that this is, it's never going to be over. Like my life, this is base camp and my mountain that never ends. My relationship with my mother, with my father, with my sister has just, it's been wiped clean and we're starting over because everything is now revolving around this new life. And the idea that that will be the case, my sister's focus will be on this child for the rest of her life. Hmm. Even when the kid's gone, she, we will be talking about her kid the way that our parents talk about us to their siblings. And I just felt such an irrational or maybe rational annoyance and resentment that my life is officially secondary, you know? And the way that when you grow up, if you... I mean, ideally have a supportive family. You are the focus when you're growing up. And I think that you think that you're always going to be the focus because you're the center of the world. And then you have kids and you realize that all of a sudden you don't fucking matter because everyone has to shower attention on this. Like it's like a lamp on a lizard. And I don't want to put my lamp on a lizard, you know, like my lamp's on me. (laughs) And that's all. I wonder, um, I wonder if a big draw of having kids has nothing to do with the kid. And I think a lot of people have told me about that. You're rolling your eyes. A, no. lot of, a lot of people have told me about having kids as being this self-fulfillment thing, not because you've reproduced and you've fulfilled that obligation, but specifically because of what you're talking about, where you realize that the lamp isn't the, your lamp. There is no lamp, right? And I think it's it's kind of that broadening worldview and like dissolution of ego that happens. But I don't know if that necessarily has to come at the cost of sleep and agency and free will you know so i a this is an interesting conversation to have now after we're married and it's reinforcing how in on this whole thing i am because i'm not sitting here with you saying 
you know, I don't know if I actually want to have kids and being like, oh my God. Because we've always talked about having three kids or whatever. But so that's good that I feel good. But I think it's a worthwhile conversation because it's like, do we want kids or do we want the fulfillment? And like, are there other paths to consider for that fulfillment? Yeah, I just... And sorry, meanwhile, like if our parents were listening to this and thinking it's it's bigger than you two assholes like it's part it's part of us too i think that those are those are another set of variables that kind of go into that equation if us not having kids makes those variables negative variables then you still have to figure out if if then if the sum is positive it's a terrible metaphor yeah i like my lamp lizard metaphor more yeah. Um, I almost bought it. That's my low. <laughs> That's my low of the week. I think we should maybe uh, think about a new format where we kind of bullshit for a little bit and then do highs and lows because it comes to you late. <laughs> Caroline called me on her way back. Uh, on No, on Thursday. Proof of how manic I was at this point. And you, you called me and you said, when you pick me up from the airport tomorrow night, there has to be a new life form in the in the house. A new pet. I need a new pet of some kind, in addition to pancake and Ophelia. I said, okay, <laughs> all right. And I was driving home from work, and I literally just banged a left <laughs> and just started hunting for pet stores, and I found Alan's pet store in L.A. Shout out to Alan, because that is a fucking kick-ass pet store. <laughs> those guys know what they're doing. That guy was so patient with me mouth-breathing near those hamsters. <laughs> And I fell in love with a hamster real quick. Hamsters are so cute. I'd never seen one before. I literally walk up to the cage and I'm just sitting there smiling. He goes, you want to hold one of those? And I was like, first of all, what are they? Second of, <laughs> second of all, how hard are they to kill? And I held one. It was awesome. And I'm about to pull the trigger. I'm over there looking at the cages. And then next to the hamster cages are probably like 30. Um, I always want to call them shellac tortoises, but that's not what they are. They're like soft lac or shellac. They're a South African tortoise. And Baby tortoises. All these teeny tiny little dudes. No bigger than my fist. Smaller, Way smaller than my fist, actually. <laughs> a lot of them were sleeping under their little heat lamp, thinking that the world was theirs. Yeah. And then uh, this little guy, Sheffield... Got a name so fast. Sheffy. He was going to come home with me. He's sitting there doing his damnedest eat a cucumber. And I get up to the cash register with 250 bucks worth of like a glass case thing, and a terrarium, and a heat lamp, and a bunch of food, and this tiny tortoise. They you for- had him in a box? Did you have no, him in a box? No, no, no. But they lived for 70 years. It's so gross. And within four years, he would have been big enough to keep in a pen outside. <laughs> And I, I'm sitting there at the cash register about to pull up my credit card. I look at the guy and I go, I got to walk away. And he goes, it's fine, man. It happens all the time. <laughs> and I go, I might see you tomorrow. He goes, no, you won't. Bye. And I was like, okay, see ya. Oh my God. That's Sheffield, RIP. He's RIP definitely Sheffield. soup somewhere. Absolutely. Um, uh, that's my high and my low. Okay. Well, returning back to the topic, I think that you and I are dreamers and it's it often benefits us, mm-hmm. but in the realm of children, so many of the opinions that I, that you and I have shared about how we want to parent were immediately burst this week in terms of me realizing how fanciful they are. I'm glad, by the way. Yeah, but it, but it's also kind of like really scary because those are all of the, all of the things that you and I say about how we want to parent. Those are the things that I cling to when I think I'm going to be the type of parent I want to be. Mm. I'm going to maintain parts of myself. I'm, we're going to do it our way. We're going to captain fantastic this shit. And then you see this baby and you see how tired the mother and the father are. And you see how much effort it is just to keep this thing alive and how quickly you go from the best laid plans to literally just saying, fuck it, I don't care. I'll feed this, I'll, I will grind up In N Out burgers into a smoothie and feed it. You to wanna this finish baby. off this sig, Brody? <laughs> yeah, like seriously. And that scares me. The yeah. idea that we would go into it with almost a caveat saying, well, we're gonna have kids, but we're gonna do it our way. And then with a child, we're gonna look at each other and realize that we're no different from everyone yeah. else and then be miserable. Yeah. So um, I said that I was glad that it, um, blew up for you not because i don't want to have kids i'm saying that i'm glad it blew up for you because i think that's just a way to strengthen our point of view on the thing right like i would be more worried if we went into it never having challenged anything that we thought to be true and the the same thing that we thought when we were 23 and 24 is the thing that we went into when we had a baby like that would be weird and i think too the scariest part would be looking at each other and kind of laughing and being like we're just like everybody else there is no captain fantastic version of this and being like but there's no going back now you know that's a scary thought too. 
It's really scary. And it's scary that we could have these conversations. And again, you could go to work and I could just be sitting there in the house just being like, what the fuck am I going to do? The counterpoint I would give, though, is that you were spending a week with people who were in not even their second week of having a baby. Right. Totally. Totally. So I, and so I'm I think sure... that's something that I'll be interested to see how it evolves over time is how they is how they feel about 100% having a baby and how, how it makes you feel. Yeah. No, completely. I just think my sister and her husband are far more um, buttoned up, adult, adult, stable, um, rational, put together, more likely to stay alive, head on their shoulders, head on their shoulders kind of people. No one is better suited than they for being parents and for handling it with the rest of their lives. Yeah. And I just like, I don't know. I really think that the life that I've created Everything for me would have to change. Like right now, I don't have a schedule and I've worked towards, I've literally, my schedule is, I have a schedule of not having a schedule. Yeah. Like I do work during the hours of the day that I want to do it. I take a bath during the day, almost every single day. My relationship with you is frequently defined by our ability to be spontaneous with one another. Yeah. And it really scares me that all of the things that make me feel deeply fulfilled and like I'm moving forward with my writing and like... I have a really happy relationship. The idea that right now it feels like for my personality, all of those things have made me a happier person than I've been. And all of those things would have to change. And that's what's scary is that I think, I think that there's a common thing of, Oh, but everyone does it and everyone figures it out and we'll be fine. And I, and in response, there might be a scary answer, which is that some people aren't suited to have kids. Mm -hmm. Like there are some people who are just, by the nature of how their neurons are firing, it's less fun for them to have kids. Yeah. And for some people, it's the joy of a lifetime. But right now, especially for heterosexual white couples, I would say, or heterosexual couples, I don't know, maybe in the culture that we were raised, it would it would be absurd for you and I not to have kids. It's heresy. Yeah. Yeah. It would be blasphemy. Like it, we would. What's the difference between heresy and blasphemy? I don't know. Mine sounds better. Okay. Blasphemy, I think is more religious and heresy has to do with like witchcraft. Don't quote me on that. I take it back. We got to do um, a fact finding. Yeah. But you know what I mean? Like it, it's not, we live a, a relaxed lifestyle, but we also come from like a very strict new England background. And that's another thing that's scary is the idea of you and I, passing each year and then my fertility window closing and then us saying we're not having kids and everyone being like wow you fucked that up well the fucked up thing though is that i think everyone would look at us and say you fucked that up but also oh you're gonna regret that and it's gonna negatively impact your relationship and it reflects poorly upon us as the two of us whereas i think we would choose to do that for us you know would encourage you to leave me i think well because you could fuck a trainer or a person. Maybe I just have a second family on the side, you know, and then you and I could <laughs> Maybe do we should have thing. a rule where some women will have your children. Yeah, someone. Someone will have your children. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, some cat will have your children. I, You know what's weird? <laughs> We've been together for too long this weekend because before you said that, I was thinking about these two right here. I was eyeing which one of them. Look at oh, Sweet Ophelia. Ophelia just looking up at us. Just like, we're so happy. Why would we... Oh, that's what I was going to say. We think about this thing as our big creative project, right? That's what we, how we approach a, a relationship. And I think having children, I think it would just make that more interesting. Where kids aren't even the focus. Kids don't get the spotlight. Kids are just new variables in our relationship. And then we get to be more creative about how we do trips, how we surprise one another, how we do all this yeah, stuff. Yeah, but what I'm saying is that's bullshit. That's bullshit. Our our idea of that is bullshit because once you have a child, your life revolves around your child. If you're a good parent, like the feedings, and I, I think, don't know. I mean, I think maybe in the beginning, yeah, like just to keep it alive. But I think at what point would that change? Twelve, thirteen. Hopefully sooner than that. I mean, I think you need to be a self actualized person, and yes, your life revolves around your child. But I think I want to be a parent who they view as a person. And then want to become their own person. You know, I don't want to be a parent because if I'm if I'm just viewed as a parent, then they internalize their role as child, you know, and I want to be person who takes care of them. And then they go, I want to be a person, too. You know, that's bizarre. Maybe I guess. But that is my point is that concepts like that that we talk about. I, yeah. I no longer believe in. Yeah. 
Because you're right. When we go back over Christmas, the baby's going to be that much cuter. And I'm probably going to lean back towards wanting kids. But my perception of that, I think, is forever blown because it that's not how it works. You know, it's funny. Um, oh, I'm sorry. I cut you off. No, I was just going to say, I, I do think... I understand what you're saying about wanting to be a person, but I think at the end of the day, even just going through the the day in the life of us having a one-year-old or an eight-year-old or a 14-year-old, our day is still revolving around their schedule, around making sure that they're getting picked up, around double-checking that they have their soccer cleats, around making sure, say we're inordinately wealthy, making sure that the nanny's picking them up. Like, there will never be a day... Confiscating their pot and seeing if it's good. Confiscating their pot. Hooking up with their significant others. <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. But there will never be a day or a weekend in which we can say, hey, you're your own person. We're going to go. Because you've basically No, said- that's my point. Not I'm going to go. Like, I'm here and I'm my own person. And the person that I am is evolving because of your presence, child. I totally get it. It's an abstract argument. And you've just spent a week, like, in the fucking trenches and you have trench foot now. You know what I've seen, man. Yeah, and I'm just pushing the little tiny army guys around on the planning board, you know? You and I had a conversation today about discipline. Uh, Not today, but this week, right? Yesterday. And you were talking about your sister and her husband being, you know, much more put together than we are. And us being much more flight of fancy kind of people. And it's... Interesting to me that people who would entertain these kind of alternative parenting philosophies are not the type of people who would be able to follow through on them, maybe. And then the people who might be able to follow through on them are probably not the people who are entertaining them, you know? And I wonder if, since we kind of innately have the thing where we're entertaining these philosophies, how do we then become the type of people who can follow through on it? And the conversation you and I had about discipline was me voicing not a concern or anything, but just a desire after a conversation that I had with a mentor of mine to be more disciplined in my life and not in a way where I feel inferior or less than in the way that I approach my life now, but just visualizing some future for myself where I think in order to get there, I need to start doing things, doing other things. The things I'm doing now are great and I need to start doing other things. And I think that that kind of involves discipline. And you and I had a great conversation where you kind of just agreed and you said, cool, let me know what you need me to do. And that would be another high for me this week too, was just voicing that and you not being like, okay, weirdo, stop journaling, but just kind of being like, what do you want to do? How do you want to do it? So I guess that would be my goal is, first of all, if anyone has read a book or has a reference about anything we're talking about, <laughs> send it to us. By the time we ever publish this, I'm going to be pregnant. <laughs> Joke's on us. <laughs> I have a response to what you're saying. But I guess, sorry, to finish this thought is that, I want to figure out how to become the people who can follow through on this kind of stuff because I do, I do agree that it sounds ridiculous and extraordinary and I think you can become extraordinary you can create an extraordinary circumstance for yourself. I love that you're an optimist. I love that. I don't dis- I don't agree in this sense and I think that the thing that I'm starting to believe is that the challenge of parenthood is that you can be on the exact same team with your partner but you're officially having meetings. You're, you you might have a great plan for a meeting with your coworker, but there's another person at the meeting. You have it like this person who comes out of me is his own person, is her, her own person. Yeah. They are a human that is separate from us. For every reaction, there's an opposite and equal reaction. And you and I might have this foolproof plan where we're iterating and we're growing and we're doing all this stuff and we're on the same page. And we're able to do that because we found each other and we chose each other for those reasons that we like working with one another. Oh, and this asshole could just be anybody? This asshole could be fucking anyone. He could be... This kid could end up being like a hardline math and science guy who enlists. Like, and we will love him, but the idea that we are working around and like planning on teaching this child that we're our own people, the implicit assumption with all of that is that we can control how this kid responds to things or that we can be in charge of how they grow or how they view us or how... Good couple they, noogies put him right in line. You know yeah, <laughs> or how they react to discipline or how they react to anything. And I think what's really fucking crazy is that when you have a kid as soon as they're out of you like that marriage story quote they're farther and farther and farther from you and you can have all these plans for how you're going to parent but you're fucking bill belichick on the sidelines making updates to your plays every second because this virus is evolving (laughs) (laughs) it's evolving every day like when I think about the mind games I played with my parents, like I remember yeah. such a clear moment when I was eight years old and my mom was telling me to go to my room and I just realized that she couldn't make me. 
And I remember standing there and just saying like, you can't make me. And I remember her looking at me and realizing that she couldn't. And she spanked me a few times growing up, but not really. And there was kind of this moment of like, holy shit, what are we going to do here? Because Mm -hmm. I'm miserable as a little kid. I have serious anger problems. And she's tried everything in the book. And all of a sudden we're at an impasse where I could have been my mother and nothing would have changed once that little kid looked at me and said, what are you going to do? Hit me? Yeah. I used to threaten that I would call social services on my parents. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't and, do that. And the crazy thing too is if we had kids who did that, I would say to you, we've got to fucking do something. We've got to send them to military camp. And my parents took the opposite route that I would take and they just dealt with it. Dealt with me being absolutely inappropriate. And I ended up calming down for no reason. Nothing changed. Their discipline didn't change. We didn't have a big heart to heart. My hormones changed. And the idea that like I could have been sent away, that was how bad I was. When I think about that type of parenting where there is no reason why they just relented to me besides maybe being tired of dealing with my shit. They just, yeah, yeah, they were exhausted. And so they let me storm around the house for five years. And then one day I just calmed down. And I wasn't mad anymore. Now I have a great relationship with them. But I think about that all the time where I'm like, if I had been them, I wouldn't have done that. I would have panicked and thought this kid is out of control. She's going to get into drugs. Like she is deeply unhappy. She's online all the time. We have to do something drastic. Mm. And I think if they had done something drastic with me, I would be in a very different place right now than I am. Well, a lot of the drastic things that they might Cut have away done... to me being like really successful at Harvard Law School. Like yeah, yeah. Making... in the alternative universe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, the argument that I was going to make to the contrary is that I think a lot of the things they would have done that would be extreme to help you at that time would have been curtailing a lot of who you are. You know, I think they right. kind of let you run room free. And right. right now you are this person who's the most free spirited person I've ever met in my life. You know, but so. they let me roam f- free at the expense of everything around me. Like I damaged people around me. I, yeah. I, imp- I defined my relationship with my sister and I, de- I defined Our familial nucleus was defined by my emotional status at any given moment. Which would be difficult for me, I think, my ego as a parent. And I'm actually surprised that your parents were able to deal with this this way, knowing how much they care in a really positive, traditional, interesting way about their reputation and kind of what their family, how how you guys present. Yeah. And I think if I kind of had to let my kid roam free, we would have a Mulan moment. And I would just be like, you're bringing fucking disgrace to this family. Yeah. But then I think, I mean, my parents were, had some, had some pretty good solidarity with it. But like, then when I think of having a kid and having those problems, not the, how am I going to retain my own, how am I going to retain my artistry when my child's a baby? But what happens when we have an 11 year old or a nine year old and they're behaving in a way that is so deeply unacceptable. And you and I disagree on fundamental levels on how to deal with it. And all of a sudden Every single day when I see the way that you're interacting with this kid, like in Marriage Story, when he sees Scarlett Johansson rewarding him for doing basic things. And he's like, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. And those little fundamental things where all of a sudden I don't view you as this incredible empathetic partner. I view you as this like pushover father who's not being strict enough. And my view of you changes. And I no longer remember who you were when we were together. I only see you as the caretaker of this child. So to that end, that makes me really want to to seek out resources books like some kind of shared philosophy that doesn't come from either one of our minds or at least isn't something that you and i have created through a mind share thing because (laughs) either one of us could gaslight ourselves or the other and warp that over the course of time and say that's not really the thing that we agreed upon or there's no way to like retain the fidelity of a parenting plan mentally because it's so complicated and there are so many facets it's ever-changing and i want to kind of try to seek out some kind of external vision that you and I can look at and say, this is the closest thing to what we think we want to do. And sure, the kid will come out and we'll get punched in the mouth week one, (laughs) and then we'll have to kind of go back to the corner and reevaluate. But I do think there's something to be said for having some kind of external uh, contract for how we approach it. Because I do think I'm going to be a pushover softy of a dad. Oh, I think I'm going to be a fucking... Anyways, I'm... I am increasingly indignant at the idea of men thinking that they can even remotely have a 50% say in when when and if people have kids. Like, it's not just an abortion thing. It's a having kids thing. Yeah. Family how planning. dare you? How dare you think that it's a 50-50 choice for us to have kids? That is inside of me. That's coming out of me. That is sucking me dry. I That is... When women breastfeed, they breastfeed for like 8 to 12 hours a day at the beginning. When you think about that, think yeah. about that. Yeah. And it's painful. Yeah. 
You're ba- you basically become the Cathay Temple, <laughs> which is the all-you-can-eat buffet in our hometown. R.I.P. Cathay Temple, by the way. It's gone, I think. Alaskan crab legs, baby. Oh, man. You could get sicker than you could ever imagine. <laughs> they don't have words for the kind of stuff that happens when people go to Cathay Temple. Yeah, I mean, for the record, I think that was kind of just like a general statement that you just gave... <laughs> I don't know. Come down from your soapbox. Um. I'm just saying, like, this feels almost silly for us to have this conversation because I am at a point where I'm like, fuck you. I'm making the decision about having kids because this is going to ruin my life and you're going to be fine. It's so deeply unfair. Here it's so is unfair. a thing that I'm conflicted on is that I Maybe want... the science will get to the point where you can be pregnant in a few years. Yeah. Just pop one out <laughs> through my pee-pee. That's worse than anything we've said so far. Okay, the thing I feel conflicted on is that when we talk about children and family planning and all that stuff, I want to project this thing where I'm saying, no, I'm ready. I'm going to be here for you. Like, I'm ready to take on as much parenting responsibility as I can. And like, you should feel good about it because I'm going to be here. But then the other part of me... You don't want a kid either. No, no, no. The other part of me is thinking that I can't feed the child. Right. You are useless. So there's just some built-in inequity here. And I am trying to think of ways that, like, we can balance this thing out. But in some ways, having kids is just imbalanced. And maybe when you think about, like, the total lifespan of the kid, where maybe you're doing more in the upfront, I'm doing more in the... I don't know what it is. But that's the thing. No, it's there's like, nothing balanced about what, child yeah. birth. So when we have conversations, I'm, I equally want to be talking a lot and saying, no, we're going to be fine and I'll be there. But then there's another part of me that's like, you don't say anything. Because you don't know how true any of that is. You've never had a kid before, Riley. I do think when we talk about... When you talk about manifesting the parental way of life that you want, and just saying, like, you can do it if you have the discipline and you want to. To me, the biggest thing that we could do to move in, like, a radically concerted way towards the type of parenting we want would be if you had a job like mine. And that's the hard thing, is that, like, the single defining thing here for having kids is who's watching them. If you had a job where you were from home, or if we raised our kids for the first five years and we lived, like, in Montana or upstate New York or Norway or even Massachusetts or whatever, wherever we lived, or we lived in Charlottesville, and you worked from home, too, then that would make us equal caretakers. But... That's the kind of like radical life decision that would require the type of radical parenting that we want. Because at the end of the day, you're moving an upward trajectory in your career, which is fucking awesome. But it's also pretty much guaranteeing that by the time that we have kids, you'll get a week, two weeks of paternity leave in America. I'm not going to go defend like all of American business, but I think we're heading in a direction where... Would you feel comfortable taking three months right now? Or would you feel like you were losing... I mean, we were gone for a month, and I think Yeah, that and that I felt like I missed wild. out on a lot of stuff, but I also think that if I had a baby, it's a lot different than getting married. I know I agree with you that I think... Fine, three months. That's fine. At the end of those three months, we would have a three-month-old baby. Yeah. And you would leave, and I would be home with a baby. And then we have another baby. And then we have another baby. And all of a sudden, and we then have... another one. And another one. And then we start filming the documentary for them to become the greatest USA Olympic basketball team of all time. <laughs> and they go up against Russia, and they're all named Strand. And it's co-ed, because it's in the future. It's a co-ed Olympic basketball team. But man, since we started filming that early, we've got so much content... <laughs> And we have the we have the rights to the documentary, and we sell it to HBO. And then each of them try to decide if they want to pursue careers in acting or if they want to stick with sports. You know, one of them gets a shoe deal, but then the other one gets into drugs. The other three do make it in acting for a little while. One of them has a deal. Okay, go ahead. Your trajectory for your career right now yeah. is such that by the time that we have kids, you will not be able to take a a primary or even majority role as the caretaker. I will have to. Yeah. Or we'll have to hire a nanny. That's how it works. And that's like the issue that women face now. You either have to pay to hire a nanny or you have to pay for really expensive daycare or you have to stay home. I would stay home because my work is from home. The type of radical parenting that you are talking about, that would be the single biggest thing that we could do over the next 10 years to ensure that we are the creating the type of family that we talk about is creating a situation which you are an equal caretaker. Well, what you're talking about is that if we want to have a radical parenting style, 
what that requires is a radical approach to your professional life. What that requires is a radical approach to where you're living your life. So it's almost, it's like, it's the same thing that any sports coach tells you where it's like, you don't just go have a great game after having a shit day. Like you wake up, you make your bed and that momentum builds over time. You don't make a change to your life by doing the same stuff you've always done. Uh, Yeah. It's another sports thing. So it just (laughs) wind sprints. (laughs) now <laughs> seriously though it's it's worth acknowledging that like that would be the thing mm-hmm. oh that's good wine <laughs> what's your takeaway of proud of in love one is don't cut off the conversation with your wife when she's having an existential talk about whether or not we have children didn't mean to cut you off it just gets so hot in here i think we need to figure that out technically in the future <laughs> Yeah, let's install an AC unit. Don't you get hot during these? Yeah, but what's the solution? To just know. end them abruptly? <laughs> no. <laughs> what's my lesson? I don't know. I mean, it's, I don't think it's really a lesson for our relationship, but I just it, it's not an equal conversation. And I think that you have a, you have to approach you have to approach conversations about parenting the way you approach conversations about sex with the implicit knowledge that your partner, if they're the opposite sex, is coming at it from like a vastly different approach like i can tell right now that this conversation has meant more to me emotionally than you like i feel more serious about it and i didn't mean to but it's just like it's a more serious topic for me it's me Mm -hmm. talking about my life i'm really afraid of how motherhood could ruin my life and give me wonderful children i could have beautiful children but like my life would end and i think i have to get better at communicating that and also understanding that it's not surprising that you're coming at it from a different approach because you're not a woman and you're viewing it from a different way so i think just always keeping in mind that sex differences and like biological roles are different and they're real even if you choose to supersede them you have to first acknowledge them before superseding them so you you have to talk about that and what your fears are with that and how you want to overcome it it is really interesting how similar it is to sex and i think we talked about one other thing so far with in in terms of perspective that i'm not remembering right now but even just as you're talking like when you just said it sounds like you're feeling more serious about it than i am which is true i guess because i've made a bunch of jokes um and i my intent is never to make you feel like i don't care about the thing as much as you do i mean that shit is serious even if you are just trying to lighten the mood but my whole my whole my whole point in like explaining why i'm making jokes jesus christ is (laughs) as you're talking about that I literally for the first time in my entire life, as we're having this conversation, tried to just mentally put myself in your shoes of being the one who's pregnant and then being the one who's taking care of it. And it is a totally, totally, totally different thing. Not saying that I have the power to all of a sudden just put myself mentally in your shoes, but that is the first time that I've even remotely tried to do that mental exercise. Because when we talk about it, my role as a parent in this thing, the hypothetical of us having children is such an unknown that it consumes all of my processing power mentally to try to figure out what my role would be in it mm-hmm. as a man. And so it does take an explicit acknowledgement of thinking, you know, what's going on, on the other side to put myself in your shoes. And it's a fucking crazy thought to think about being pregnant for nine months and then being attached to that thing almost as if the umbilical cord was never cut and it's a crazy thought i have a quick thought to add to that that just kind of clicked for me in general assuming the mother and the father are both around the mother is the primary caretaker and that she is the she is what gives the child what it needs to survive literally for at least the first few years of its life the man is allowed to have more choice in what type of parent he wants to be because he is the peripheral. He gets to be funny or serious or the breadwinner or whatever. He gets to be whatever he wants because he doesn't have required roles. And when you're, it's like the Maslow hierarchy. The woman is at the bottom of the pyramid where she's doing all the necessary shit. And then you have all those sitcoms where like the frazzled mother isn't funny. And the dad's like, why aren't you laughing at my jokes? And everyone's like, oh, she's a bitch. (laughs) It's like, no, she's cleaning the kitchen and making sure that the kid has breakfast in the morning and doing all this stuff to make sure that the kid's stomach is full and teeth are brushed and all this stuff so that by the time they're walking out the door the dad can make the joke and everyone can be like wow parenting's cool he's Mm -hmm. like his kid's friend yeah that's a distinct difference between being the primary caretaker who's taking care of all the kids needs and being the one who is taking care of the kids wants and the parents wants and i think that it's natural that men would instinctively explore that a little bit more than women because as a woman, you are literally prepping yourself to be the primary caretaker in most relationships. Mm-hmm. And that allows for less fun. 
there's not as much room for fun because you have to do all the boring shitty stuff there are so many things that you and i have talked about as like necessary requirements or boxes to check before you and i actually have children financial in terms of our health mm-hmm. like tons of different things own a chinchilla um, own a few chinchillas <laughs> get the tortoise pen set up sheffield sheffield but i think it would be really interesting to not think about radical parenting as something that starts when the child is born but think about radical parenting as the ramp up to it where we are being radical from now until the point where we have children and then and beyond where i'm also now thinking and trying to prepare myself for those day-to-day primary caretaker responsibilities you know yeah and we almost develop a different mindset way earlier than you almost think that you would have to develop a a different mindset as it pertains to parenting I just start taking estrogen pills every day. (laughs) My nipples get huge. This is something you'll like. All babies when they're first born for like the first month of their lives have little titties. What do you mean have little titties? Even boys. It's a hormone buildup because of what they're drinking in the breast milk. He has little budded breasts. That's really funny. And they slowly go away. But when you touch them and when we took him for his appointment, the, the doctor was like really fucking with his boobs while she was talking to us to point them out. And I was like, it was getting really weird neurotic. And it's huh. really, anyways, that's the end. Jeez. You're like heavy breathing in the <laughs> Goodbye. background. Well, I still have to do my how to stay in love thing. Oh. Okay, what's your lesson? Well, this is an interesting week because normally our how to stay in loves are, um, Built from something that challenged our love and then our lesson on how to stay in love is something to combat a thing. And I think this week kind of points out to me that those are always really good. Like, don't do this or uh, get ahead of that. But I think there's also something to be said for like thinking back over the past week and thinking about times when did... I feel like I was really in love with you. And when did you feel like, when did I feel like you were really in love with me? And then what potentially caused that? You and I, and I think a lot of like younger people want to throw out all of tradition because of kind of like the decline in religiosity and like a bunch of different stuff where people just kind of are like the old ways is dumb. But I think there's, (laughs) I think summary of 2019, (laughs) but I think um, there's something to be said for kind of auditing and interrogating all of those different things that people tell you to do and trying to get down to okay it's not the chicken soup it's the fulfillment of now having a skill and it's not the chicken soup it's the sitting down to eat something that like just feels really good together and so trying to figure out like what is like the kernel of like love insight in all of the like physical trappings that people kind of throw at you and all that kind of bullshit advice Mm -hmm. because God damn, that chicken soup was so good. And I it just made me feel very grounded. And like we have, you know, a real good. family thing going on. Good. That was a good one. See you next week. I think I love you. I think I love you. I think I love you.